Welcome on into the show. My name's Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur, and he's definitely opting out of this podcast after a year. And I'm not even offering him $28 million. It's Benny Horowitz. <sighs> it's so funny watching these guys being like, yeah, I'm just opting out of <laughs> generational million, wealth. $13 million <laughs> generational wealth. <laughs> nah, I'll take a chance on myself. Well, what's Anthony? What's he gonna get? Two twenty-five. Uh, Danny, what say? Say tomorrow, you a million dollars gets dropped in your lap. Yeah. What's, what's the first move? Oh, well, what do you do? For um, well, I think I gotta invest a little bit of it. Actually, you know what I do? You know what I do? This is a splurge purchase. Okay. Uh, I think I go with a lesser-known sports team, like maybe like NWSL team. That has like the chance for like high high potential. So you think a million gets you that? Yeah, yeah. I think you get a hundred percent by a minority ownership, maybe like two percent of an NWSL team, maybe even more. Honestly, like I think they're giving away minority ownerships in that for uh, hundreds of thousands and not millions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> Yeah, Benny, let's get my can I interest like you when, in a when Bon NWS- Jovi like owned a lacrosse team? You know? <laughs> John Bon Jovi. Oh man, but how are things with you? What's up? What's hey. new? Hey man, I'm living large, uh, trying to ignore the things on social media designed to enrage me. You know, <laughs> I've been realizing I'm like, you know, I'll follow some weird. You know, lefty journalist on here has yeah. X amount of followers, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'll read through a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, oh, it's your job to enrage me. Yeah, I see what's going on here. So what I'm trying to do is be beyond it all. You know what I mean? Hmm. I don't. I, I'm not going to take a person and and make them my false idol. You know, uh, nobody holds that much importance, and you know the the culture that we live around and our community and taking care of the people around you still holds a lot more weight than, than writing some old man, a tweet or something, you know? So trying to stay focused on what you can actually control. Do you want to name names here? I think, I, I think that we should really name names about what, who were your uh, false journalistic idols? Well, I mean, let's just say like, like, I don't know. Rachel Maddow and I don't know Tucker Carlson, right? Yeah, I don't think they're the same. I'm not about to make that equivalency, be, like because clearly one of them believes in one thing, one of them believes in another, but they do have the same exact job. Yeah, which is they are paid to enrage and make their base like fearful. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's good for business when that happens and that's both of their jobs so what i'm trying to not be is a pawn in that game you know it's just like comparing comedians it's like tucker carlson gee okay wow i almost made the major faux pas of comparing tucker carlson to someone who is the polar opposite of everything he believes in but it's like like a raunchy comedian versus like the clean cut comedian they both are trying to accomplish the same job. They just go about it in very different ways and have very different audiences. Yeah, and if you ask me, one is an absolute piece of shit who is dangerous. I can't like believe you're literally, talking. Like, literally dangerous. 
you know, like yeah. the kinds of things he's willing to say and do are unconscionable to me. Like I can't even understand the gas bag that does that for morality or money. I can't like, believe you're talking neither, about Steve Harvey this way. Neither makes sense. So I, I'm 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 not sitting here saying the two are the same. Yeah. One I would have drinks with, one I trust is a decent human being, and one I would fucking wipe off the bottom of my boot. But the point I'm making is that their corporate overlords are both pleased when each side is enraged. Yeah. And each side is scared and each side is clicking back every two seconds, you know? So, so that's what I'm trying to do is, is I vote, I'm engaged with my community, I do everything I can with the time I have, I'm charitable, all that stuff, but I'm trying to, to stay committed to staying out of the game, mm. you know, and out of the theater and not being another contributor to the clicks, not being another contributor to the ad revenue and... You know, th- this is my little my little personal fight against it, I guess. And yet you do two podcasts. It's, it's unbelievable. You're out of the click business. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm out of their click business. Yeah. Like, give me the clicks, right? That's a, See, that's yeah, why that yeah, th- these are the kind of mind thing. games you, you need to play. You need to yeah. troll them, get their audience in to buy your own goods. That's it's right. it, it, right. it's really a lot like what we're going to talk about wanna, soon with the I whole wanna, Supreme story. Right. I just want to take the clicks from them. It's like yeah. when a guy you're playing in fantasy gets, tw- <laughs> or, you know, or a guy on your team in fantasy is riding the bench and gets 25 points. Yeah. At least someone else didn't get that 25 <laughs> points. You know what I'm saying? By the way, while we're here, because I didn't think that that would get here, you know, there's been a lot of talk about whether the president or, or, or I think we can just refer to him as Donald Trump at this point is going to start a cable news network after oh, he's yeah. done. Do you think that that's a realistic thing? Yeah, I do. I mean, they're they're setting up they're setting up a whole uh, channel for people who are even right of Fox right now. You mm. know, like like uh, they now think that big tech is yeah. part of the child slavery eating baby rings. Yeah. You know, like they think that now people from Twitter and Facebook are in cahoots with all the, you know, Jewish puppet masters and Hillary Clinton and all the child satanic rapists and all that. Um, So they started their own social media that those fucking Mercer assholes started their own social media company saying Facebook and Twitter censor us. This is a safe place for you. Uh, They already have that one cable network. Now he's going to do this. Like, I don't know if it'll be successful, I don't know if it's going to be nearly as popular as these other ones, but I don't know. They are functionally trying to find a place where all these people can stay safe and share their information together. So, you know, again, I reiterate, it's one of the reasons I refuse to make the end all be all Donald Trump and Joe Biden, you know, Nazis were marching in the streets when I was a kid. They still do. The problem didn't start with him. It doesn't end with him. And, you know, even if he actually leaves in a few weeks, the the problems he helped um, formulate are, are here, here to stay. I just can't believe that we had a massive uh, casualty, a social casualty this weekend. John Tesh outed him himself. He's going to one of these new social sites. He's done. Is that right? He's done nothing over the past time while he's been on Twitter 
except, you know, post motivational pictures and all that stuff. And he's like, this place is censoring me. Join me on whatever the heck he's going to. Parlor? Parlor. Yeah, with with him. Hey, follow the tune up on Parlor. No censorship (laughs) over there. Oh, no. Should we troll it? Should we make a tune up on Parlor and just be like, the worst barstool assholes just as like a uh, as some sort of human experiment here. I don't know. It could be fun. Sell merch. Merch gets some money. And then next thing you know, Benny, Benny how would you like to do a podcast with John Tesh? Uh, so I'm saying my mom used to tell me that. She said, listen, sometimes if you want to change things, you got to play the game. You know? <laughs> All right. You want to put me on parlor for a while to fuck the whole thing oh. up? I'll, I'll try to Guy Fox it, you know? Benny, I know you may have not have been involved with the production of Round Ball Rock, but I think you've had a better musical career than John Tesh. <laughs> I would put Just your records and touring up better than, you know, maybe the Monday Night Football. And and because you, what's really coming back from those songs, you know? Uh, it's a matter of taste, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I brought up John Tesh, and that is the perfect segue for this day in music history. Do, 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 do. Mine's apropos with us talking this much about white people in the beginning of this is in 1998, the band The Offspring released Americana Mm. featuring Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Mm. Now, the reason I bring this up, okay, is because at the time in 1998, I didn't know what to do with this song. (laughs) Obviously, the song is bad. Obviously, it's corny. But I got the joke. Even in 1998, I got the joke. I realized it was tongue-in-cheek. But I couldn't make a decision if I hated it or I loved it because it it was both. I did. I hate the song. And I hate the way they look and I hate the way they presented it. But I kind of love the idea of trolling all this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Now, and it kind of blew back in Offspring's face, which is funny because this was by far their most successful song that they ever had it was a a top five song in the billboard rock charts it charted in nine different countries and it is quadruple platinum in australia (laughs) which is ironic since that's like the whitest fucking place (laughs) on earth maybe or they've at least made it that way um now all right so i found a quote from offspring frontman dexter holland which he he said in an interview with the colorado springs independent i don't know what it's uh and and i quote I always took fly to be this kind of word that white people co-opted from the black world, going all the way back to Superfly and other black exploitation movies. Once it has been taken up by white culture, it was kind of the opposite of fly, right? I knew that some people would pick up on the obviousness of the fact that this song was taken to piss out of a certain kind of person, and I figured that the guys who thought it was about them would think it was cool and like it, even if they didn't get that the joke was on them. <laughs> So that's his quote. And what's funny about this is I re I watched the videos. I heard his explanation. I dug back into the offspring and Denny, I'm still lost because <laughs> I still hate it. And I still love it. There's a line in this song, right? Yeah. He says he's getting a tattoo done yet. Yeah, no, no. He's getting a tattoo. Yeah. He's getting ink done. Like, I don't care if you're kidding or not. That is one of the worst lines I've ever heard in a song, even if you're being tongue in cheek. And then 
just watching the video and you see the people delivering this song are like the whitest California motherfuckers you've ever seen with like spiky blonde hair and bowling shirts, just kind of like, yeah, like doing white boy rock and roll shit. So it's so hard to judge the song. I don't know if I, I, the reason I brought this up, Danny, is because I'm still in a crux. I don't know. I hate it and I like it at the same time. It's like that song, and what's that uh, one? It's like, I was wrong. It's like, ooh, Duh. baby, every time I look around, like that one. Those those two songs confuse me to no end. Because yeah. up until, I'm not even joking, like six months ago, like it was during this quarantine, I was like, oh, he's not singing about Parmesan in that song? Because the way he <laughs> says it. So those two songs... That oh, and the other one when I was a kid that that confused me was uh, uh, losing my religion. Oh yeah, because yeah. there was a weird music video for that that they would always play at like a hard rock cafe. Yeah, with the milk. Falling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's always. I just think of losing my religion. <laughs> I think it just spilled milk. So that's what I always think of with that one. I don't know, and I mean, I also had a personal stake at the time. Offspring, if I'm real about it, is one of the first punk bands I ever heard. Mm. And their record Ignition was literally one of the first punk records I ever owned. Wow. And there's, I mean, there's a song in that record called LAPD. You know, like, like they weren't messing around yeah. at first. There's songs about suicide and cops and like it's serious shit. So, you know, this band's very confusing. They always have been. They have some really, truly great songs, and yeah. like 70% of them are not good. <laughs> uh, I, I never know what to do with it. Oh, so if you could chime in on my This Day in Music History and tell me where I should be standing on this song, because I'm still confused. At 22 years later, I don't know what to do with it. And you can do that at Benny Horowitz 1, but we'll get to that whole thing later. All right, my This Day in Music History on this day in 1962, before seasons went on a five-week Run at number one every week, Benny. It's got it's it's a problem with big girls don't cry. Which I wanted to bring this up because imagine yeah. if you tried to put out a song called "Big Girls Don't Cry" in 2020. What mm. sort of uh, Twitter social reaction you would get? Um, yeah. Honestly, not really sure why this song took off so much. I mean. It's catchy. It's got like the classic Four Seasons stuff, um, which really, now that I'm thinking about it, in the context of our previous conversation, Four Seasons, Big Girls Don't Cry, this song in 2020 giving off major MAGA energy. Oh, yeah, okay. So maybe like a Toby Keith <laughs> cover it or something. <laughs> Three Doors Down, take a stab at oh, it. Oh, man, that's so Isn't fun. that the concert now? It's Toby Keith. Three Doors Down, Kid Rock, and Smash Mouth. Yeah. That's the MAGA gig. Have fun, kids. Oh, man. Enjoy yourselves. I think it would be huge for the pod if we got into a Twitter beef with Smash Mouth. I mean, listen, let's just continue my hatred of fucking <laughs> corny California dudes in bowling shirts. Because that's what <laughs> they make me think of the same exact thing, too. All right, Benny, first headline today. Um, some news from the fashion world. You, you know, we only typically talk about fashion when we get into Kanye West and all that stuff. But the Supreme brand sold to V 
F Corp, which owns Vans for two point one billion dollars. Billion. Billion with a B. That's <laughs> billion dollars. Um, Benny, I want to get into this because the entire idea about Supreme being at all relevant is culture is they make limited quantities of things, drop them, and then they're gone. So very much the rule of supply and demand. Now that they have sold to like a massive distributor for a hefty paycheck, it kind of loses all of its value. You know, you've been in, in, in the merch game. You know the rule of supply and demand. I think this makes them less valuable to anybody. I'm surprised they got the $2 billion, but they are an incredibly hot property. I mean, right off the bat, I got to assume the whole model of their business might have died once they got past a certain size. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, how many storefronts can you have and how many countries and how much of an influence can you have how many while still stuff? keeping yeah. things exclusive in this? So, I mean, if I had to guess, it would be people who own this company being like, you know what? That part of it's done. It's a huge name. So maybe we should just take the money and, and try to do the thing now because yeah. that model is dead. You know, this VF Corp, not only owns Vans, now Supreme, but also the North Face mm. and Timberland. Yeah. I mean, this thing is a monster, like wh whatever it is. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's going to kill the model because I think companies like this know how to basically remarket it. Now it's just a name. Now you could go to Macy's and a mom yeah. will be like, oh, Supreme. I bet my <laughs> kid will like that, you know? And it's just that thing that's there now. Yeah. Um, so. No, they'll probably be fine because these corporate assholes check the numbers before they make these sales and they <laughs> probably know exactly that they're going to be fine. Um, but so are you going to sell your Supreme stuff? On I've, eBay I've, I've never bought any Supreme. Come on. Do I look like a Supreme person? Do I look like... I, listen, all I know is <laughs> I, I, that Supreme line, like when you're in the city yeah. and you see that line around Supreme, that is a mixed bag of nuts. Yeah. It is. There's not like one type of person there. There's a lot of interesting like people who got into that for whatever reason because yeah. it started as a skate company, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think it still has that idea that like you know it's skater alternative, even though they're so corporate. So yeah. I don't know. I could see you outside of a Supreme store. All right. Well, that segment was a half baked idea. Let's get into the actual thing. It's time for Dollar Slice Takes. All right. So. This just came up in a going off track, and I think it's a lot yeah. of fun. We were talking about hitchhiking. Okay. <laughs> and the fact that it's gone away, you know, yeah. essentially, like no one hitchhikes anymore. Then I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, why is hitchhiking so bad if we're so okay with uh, ride sharing? You know, we're just getting random people's cars with random fucking people, yeah. going, dropping them off at their own homes. You know what I mean? Some pretty weird, intimate shit with people you don't know. So what about a hitchhiking app where you have people who pick up, people who ride, and you get five stars if, like, you know, three times you take a ride and you're not a creep and not trying to see someone's penis? Uh, and, yeah, so so basically ride-sharing app for hitchhiking. I Man. think that's very easy for us to be like, yeah, let's do it, but I think for women that'd be a huge problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, women can pick women up. Well, oh. they'll have their own app. Okay. Okay. So yeah. it's segregated app. I love it. I love it. Let's go. Let's, let's do it. It's dollar slips. Oh, I love it. 
All right, Benny, my Dallas Slice take this week is so I saw that the Big Ten, you know, they would, they've been trying to pander to their fans, create engagement online. That's great. But whoever runs this account, uh, you know, they're talking about the most popular fast food places in uh, each of the Big Ten states and New Jersey's Big Ten country. Shout out to Rutgers. And they said that the most popular fast food restaurant in northern New Jersey is Sparrow's. What? And I can't even believe this. I think this person in Chicago that was just, uh, you know, they probably watched a couple episodes of The Office and thought that, you know, Steve Carell coming out of the subway and Sparrow was like the greatest pizza that you can get. No, 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 no. If, if any, I can only think of three Sparrows in the entire state. Secaucus train station and like maybe two of the malls but like come on yeah like that is I, that is someone little, else's dollar slice take i'm a little confused anyway because yeah. like yeah i well a i only eat at sabaros on tour you know cuz i'm from new jersey <laughs> yeah. like i literally grew up in a house where my father banned chain pizza places it's a good you call. know cuz he's like we live here <laughs> we have pizza we don't need that shit yeah I hate, I was so mad at him back in the day. I'm like, I want to try Pizza Hut, you know? But, like, yeah, like you said, I can't think of, like, a standalone Sbarro's that even exists outside of a mall or, like, a, you know, a turnpike rest area or Mm. something. So, um, yeah, I'm not really sure uh, where that's coming from. That sounds like, that sounds like a hit job. That that sounds like somebody that got off of, you know, flew in from wherever to Newark Airport, trying to go to the city, got lost at the Secaucus train station, saw Sparrows, got back on the train, and kept going. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, they're like, at least I got to go to CBGB's at the Newark Airport. In the airport. <laughs> yeah. All right, Benny, it's the business time of the podcast. It is NBA season. The trade moratorium has passed. It was over at 12 noon on Monday, and we already have a proposed trade. It hasn't been finalized yet, but it's pretty close. First reported by Shams of the Athletic, uh, Chris Paul to Phoenix. Chris Paul goes right next to Devin Booker in Phoenix, the only team to go 8-0 leading up to the playoffs in the bubble. In return, the the Oklahoma City Thunder are getting Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, and Jalen Luquay. And then in terms of draft compensation, uh, the Suns' future first to the Thunder is protected 1 through 12 in 2022 and 1 through 10 in 2023, and also a protected pick in 2024 before an unprotected in 2025. Benny, let's start with this because this was the big news of the day. I love this for the Suns. I think that this leapfrogs them over a bunch of teams and really puts the pressure on the teams at the bottom of the Western Conference right here. Yeah, I mean, well, the teams at the bottom of the Western Conference are like, what, like one, because everybody's good at this point now that Phoenix is good. Oh, I'm more meant right out of playoff position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's as usual in the West, there's going to be a few teams that are well-deserving that are not going to make it because of how brutal it's going to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on first thought, you know me, I love stars. Yeah. And I love the combination of stars wins championships. It's just like the basic formula. So when you tell me Chris Paul is going to meet 
those really two young, interesting players, one of which on the border of being a proper superstar, mm. I'm like, great. Here's here, here's a group. Here's three. Here's here's what you need to start getting over the hump. But then I start looking at the minutia of this, and I wonder. Okay, I have concerns, okay. and I have concerns for Phoenix. You know, if you told me a year and a half ago that they got a package like this for Chris Paul, I would have told you you were nuts, because there was a decline going on, and there was a physical decline. He could never get through a playoff series healthy. And sure, he went vegan. He changed his body. You know, I appreciate that. And he, he had a great year. But he's 37 by the time next year starts. And the idea that you're coming in and this is some sort of sure thing that he's going to be able to be the leader for 72 games and through the playoffs to get these guys to where they need to go, I'm not so sure. And I'm not so sure at times... If you match it up, obviously he's a better player than Ricky Rubio, but there was a certain flow to that team, as you said, in the bubble with the group that they had, and they're giving up a lot of roster. They're giving up two starters, another potential rotational piece, and a, and a pick in a very important draft. So now we're looking at what? Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikhail Bridges. <laughs> as proper useful players, you yeah. know, but right now the starting five is including Mikhail Bridges, maybe Cam Johnson, mm. Dario Saric. So right now I know they picked up the bird rights on Saric. He's still 26. He's got more upside, especially with somebody giving oh, them great, the ball yeah. in a good place. But now that leaves them with only a mid-level section available. So basically the Suns are going to have to fill out this roster with whatever mid-level exception player they can bring in. And that could be a quality player. You know, maybe they could swing for Gallo or Serge Bakker, try to get one more piece to go over the top, give him a one-year bubble deal. Uh, and they smartly retain the rights to this year's number 10 pick, mm -hmm. which could be very useful, yeah. as we've talked about. That's a good section of the draft where you're actually probably going to get you know, a decent rotational player, hopefully. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not going to say now that this, this deal is bad or good for them because so much depends on what their subsequent deals are to fill out this roster. But if you tell me right now, with the history of Chris Paul and what they just gave up, I think it was a little too much. No, I, I'm, I, I mean, yes – you know, they use that mid-level, maybe get a guy like Robin Lopez, who just today opted out of his deal. That's an interesting situation there. I like all those other pieces. I honestly, I'm a lot higher than on Sarge than you are. Uh, and then with that, like, number 10 pick in there, um, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about the superstars, right? But I think that this is going to be a draft that has a lot of guys that uh, have really long careers, you know, 10, you're kind of looking at like a, uh, a, a like Killian Hayes situation. So guys that, guys that are not going to be superstars, but could definitely be either starters on a playoff team or a first or second option off of the bench. So I really, and what more importantly, this shows for Phoenix, you know, they've gotten killed over the last decade by a lot of the media and their fans as not really trying and going for it. Sure. 
Sure. This is what teams need to do. They need, when they have a superstar, you go all in. Wink, yeah. wink, John Horst up in Milwaukee. You go all in, you get a superstar, you try to maximize your window, whatever that may be, because as we've seen, you know, a guy could be a superstar and try to force his way out. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that, and this is the first time in a long time that Robert Sarver is looking all right and yeah. actually has some some leadership and some pieces there and some excitement. I mean, with what Phoenix did in the bubble, you know, I guess so much of this depends on what we haven't even really talked about yet, which is you have potentially two, you know, all-star level, perennial all-star level players on this team. One of which maybe you can start putting on a higher level. So Mm. if Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton both take a step next year and, you know, Devin Booker truly turns into a real superstar and DeAndre Ayton truly turns into an all-star center, well, Chris Paul is going to look really good. Yeah. um, (laughs) Because Chris Paul is instant offense. Mm. You know, I mean, take anything you want away from that guy. If, If you put Chris Paul on the floor with some other good players, you have offense. Right. You just have it. That's how good he is. So, you know, so much of this depends on that. And and at a point, if those two guys make a jump, they're not even going to need as much from Chris Paul as, as, you know, he would have had to do in OKC. And then on the other side of things, can we just credit Sam Presti here for yes. a second? Yes, I, we can. I want to re- run down this list here of what Sam Presti was able to flip Russell Westbrook for okay yeah he got right. one season of Chris Paul he got Kelly Oubre he got Ricky Rubio Ty Jerome all of the stuff we talked about three first round picks and two pick swaps that's unbelievable what you know the the job when you are at a destination like Oklahoma City it is to make your team matter and be in the hunt for as long as possible and you know Oklahoma City not a place where people want to stay I give him all the credit in the world for, you know, realizing when it was time to cut bait because at the end of, of the day, the reason why people make these moves, you know, like like trading Harden, trading Westbrook, and, and all of that stuff, it's to preserve their own job because if the team has success and you can sell hope, you're going to be employed for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. You got to give him a ton of credit. I mean, he's pulling off the thing that everybody tries to pull off. Mm. He's blowing up a team without tanking. Yeah. And that, that's like one of the most difficult things to do. Uh, and you go into next season now, you know, say this Dennis Schroeder deal goes through, yeah, just about to talk which is on a, you know, for Danny Green and a late first round pick. OKC's going in next year with uh, Shea Gilders Alexander, Steven Adams, Lou Dort, who wound up being a pretty interesting player. And now you're adding to that mix Danny Green, Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, and two first-round picks going into this season. So all of a sudden, you're looking at OKC's roster, and you're like, clearly they're not going to win the West. That's a pesky team. Yeah. Who could give some people trouble, you know, who could start sniffing their way into – and, you know, and he might not even be done because Steven Adams is on a big deal and obviously sought after. He might get more for him. So I think uh, you got to give Presti all all the credit in the world. Mm. And even if this little experiment 
it's like he's in a win-win situation where yeah. like no one's expecting him to win, no one's expecting him to make the playoffs. So if he does, he's a genius, just like he was last year. Yeah. And then if it starts to not go that well, it is just chock full of tradable assets. Right. You know exactly. what I mean? A lot of guys, like by the midpoint of this season, you can't see like a contending team not wanting Danny Green. Or not wanting the Ricky last Rubio? year of Kelly yeah. Oubre on a one-year $14 million deal. You know, um, so if this all goes bad, they, again, can really, you know, get some desperate teams to do some interesting things. So they're in a very good spot, and I, I, I give them a lot of credit. And you just brought up the Dennis Schroeder trade to the Lakers uh, for Danny Green and, and a 2021st round pick. You know, Danny Green is, is an interesting guy because we've been talking about this a lot. You know, he's a, a guy that, number one, I think he'd probably get bought out because unless he thinks that there's a chance to win. So, in essence, you're trading Schroeder for a, a first round pick this year, which could be valuable. Who knows? But uh, I really I think, like yeah. Schroeder's fit with the Lakers. Um, yeah. What he is, I think he provides. So, like, what the, what have we talked about with the Lakers when they were in the bubble? The inability to kind of create offense when LeBron wasn't on the court. Right. Schroeder's going to be in that second unit and cause havoc and not going to give opposing teams time to rest. And what this really is, is building on to Lakers 2.0. This championship for the Lakers, LeBron, AD, that was Lakers 1.0, right? So we're kind of evolving into AD's team with pieces around it so that LeBron can kind of step back a, a little bit. Yeah, and the thing I love about Schroeder is, like, from the second that guy entered the league, he's never seen a minute that's too big for him. Yeah. So, you know, he's going to... Even though, you know, he lets a lot of guys around him, he's going to get in the face of anybody. He's going to take any shot available to him. Uh, you know, he's he's got moxie. He's got he's got confidence. Yeah. And I think um, you, you need, I you know, you need a wild card out there sometimes. Dennis Schroeder <laughs> is definitely that. You know, you never you never know when you're going to get the A game. And when you do, that's a huge, a huge advantage. Yeah, I think that's a good deal. I'm a little higher on Danny Green still than you are. I don't mm. think he's done. I think uh, he had a weird season, um, and I, I think he'll probably get back to the back of his basketball card, you know, a, a little closer. The yeah. three-point percentage was uh, uh, unusual for him. You know, he's a career nearly 40% shooter from there. I think he gets closer back to that point. So I don't think he's going to bring OKC to to a championship or something, but the idea that he plays himself into being a very tradable asset by the middle of next year, I could see. I will never buy Danny Green stock again because, you know, it was that Brandon Jennings Monte Ellis playoff year, right? You know, they had at the time Larry Sanders was like a like a great big man in like the league. <laughs> got Danny Green. You're like, we got pieces here. Giannis wasn't even really a thing yet. And I sat through all of those games and Danny Green might have been sh- should have been shooting from Chicago. Not even in the building at all. Anyway, yeah, so I will never yeah. again buy Danny Greenstock. I love, I love how you just slip in. How you're such an irrational Bucks fan, though. Sometimes <laughs> Larry Sanders was a good big at the huh. time. Come he on. got paid he got a few blocks a game. He got paid. That's about he, all he that homeboy a, could do. Han, that one, he had like a season and a half where he was solid, oh, man. Before he went, this is crazy. like this is like me as a Nets fan. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? 
Nanad Kristad still oh, could have been a playoff stop four. It. You know, Nanad Kristad's never got a seventeen million dollar buyout. <laughs> All right. nepotism always and then and then we have one more deal to discuss with a bunch of news and notes we'll probably get to after it benny james harden wants out of houston wink Matter. those eyebrows because i know he's going to philadelphia no there is talk that james harden is trying to force his way out of houston to the nets and quite frankly I know that you love this. I know that you are just chomping at the bit. You think the Nets are back. You think that this is the J-Kid, uh, Vince Carter, Richard Jefferson on steroids, three All-Stars, yada, yada, yada. But honestly, this is Trainwreck City. I mean, all right, let me talk on this for a minute. <laughs> okay. So first off, I don't think it's going to happen. It, it doesn't, I, like, this is all, you've seen this a million times. Just because someone says they want to go somewhere, it doesn't mean anything. And the move the Nets made today I'm not sure what it means, but they actually made a trade for Bruce Brown, who's a two-guard who can D. I'm not sure if that's something that uh, adds to the fact that they need both of them or don't. I, I'm not sure. Um, but I don't, A, I don't think it's going to happen. B, I recognize that this could potentially be like the most unlikable team in NBA history. I know what these guys are like, okay? Salty. Harden's quiet. He's weird. You don't never know what he's thinking. Kyrie's going to say some weird shit. KD's going to do some weird on his burner. Before you know it, like, I mean, these three, not great for each other. But here's my pitch on it, okay? I love what the Nets did over the last few years. Marks is great. He makes intelligent move after intelligent move. He rebuilt the core. He rebuilt the Nets. They're going to be a perennial playoff contending type team now and not because they just went out and got those guys it's because they drafted well they did well in free agency they made some really 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 smart moves in those first couple years to get off of bad deals they took on bad contracts to get out of other things it was really fun to watch but the thing i'm sure about is that this core that i fell in love with your karis levert joe harris Jared Allen, you know, um, Rodian's Crooks, you know, these guys that I really love. I'm really invested in these guys. They're not winning a fucking ring, man. And not in this league and not with everything that's going on, not with this newly super competitive Eastern Conference. And you know who might win a ring? If those three actually got along and played together. Because if you put the three of them on the court, I'm not talking about the defensive end. On the offensive end, the NBA has never seen anything like it. And I don't think there's an answer in the league for those guys. And uh, you can bring up the Warriors if you want. It's a totally different ball game. Uh, well, maybe not with the KD Warriors because yeah. yeah. now we have some balance here. Mm. But what did those teams do? They were historically good fucking teams, you know? So I don't think there's an answer in the NBA for putting those guys on the court together. And even if you gave up, uh, you know, in order to make the money work, you'd obviously have to give up Levert, Dinwiddie, Prince. But if you have the three of them still surrounded by Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, you know, like like this this core of, you know, young, nice players, I think Garrett Temple might opt out. 
I, I don't know. It really has a chance. And I kind of like the idea of we hired Steve Nash. We hired Nick D'Antoni. We have Kevin Durant coming back. We have Kyrie uh, coming off this bubble year. Like, sort of like, fuck it, you know? Like, like you have, if a guy who's in his early 30s, who's one of the most generationally talented scorers you've ever seen in the NBA, who's got, you know, for all the shit people talk about Harden, the guy's a brick, man. You know, he actually gets in front of people on the defensive end when he feels like a, he can get rebounds, he can pass, and he's never fucking hurt, which is huge yeah. in this league. You know, you're going to get like 70 games out of James Harden every single year. So I think because he hasn't won a ring, James Harden is now put in the, you know, a different kind of conversation. But people forget how fucking good this guy is yeah. and how close he came with, you know, some really weird pieces. Um, so, yeah, if this is actually on the table, fuck it. Yeah, go for it. You know, I think the interesting thing here, and I just want to talk about the actual basketball of this. I'm so in. So Kyrie be your point guard. What is Harden like? not being a ball dominant guard and playing more off the ball. I think that that could yeah. be a interesting thing because he's not in that offense. He's not going to be able to like dribble for 15 seconds, step back, shoot. That's not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. So is he, does his game become a lot more him coming off of screens? I think because uh, his, you know, his athleticism, you know, uh, as, as, as guys get older, they got to play, smarter or so does he just become like a pick and pop guy in, in the corner if that's his game and he can buy into that sort of role or what kind of role does Kyrie buy into but I don't think you're going to be able to, to to have him buy into a lesser role because he's like I was I came here in the first place I kind of started this whole thing and that and all of his other stuff but just how they would play on the court how and Honestly, they'll make it work. Any of the great teams in history that have had a lot of superstars have either found a way to make it work because they all want a championship or they fall fall apart. But I think, honestly, these guys aren't young bucks anymore. I think right. that they could be like, all right, we have a chance to be historically great. I think James Harden wants to be historically great. That's right. I think still the big wild card in this is Kyrie Irving. He's already got his ring. He's already got all yeah. the other stuff. Whatever Kyrie wants the situation to be is what it's going to be. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think the troubling part of that is this team, the way I see it being run most successfully, would be Kyrie acquiescing the ball to James Harden. Yeah. James Harden is not a spot-up shooter. Mm-mm. When has he ever sat somewhere exactly. and just received a pass and shot? Kyrie has. Yeah. KD has. Mm-hmm. Those guys can pop. They can they can spot up in a way that James Harden can't. So uh, the thing that's troubling to me is I think the best way for this to work would be to keep giving James Harden the ball to start the offense. Yeah. If Kyrie's willing to acquiesce to that, I mean, who the fuck knows? Yeah. I don't even know what he thinks about the earth. Um, but (laughs) so, so I think that's the big question mark there is, is, I mean, I, I mean, we're getting into strategy for a deal that may never happen. Um, 
I think it's closer than you think, though. But, like, but, I, but, but, but the one thing I would say is, you know, from what I can gather about James Harden, like, he's mostly said the right things through the years. He's had some problems with guys who have problems with a lot of people, you know, like, is he the first one Dwight Howard had a fucking problem with? Is he the first one Chris Paul had a problem with? Obviously, there's something a little acrimonious to James Harden, but it's not like he wasn't making nice with, like, you know, uh, Tobias Harris, like one of the nice guys of the league. Like, there were some question marks to the people he was having problems with, too. And James Harden does come off as a guy to me that, like, would do a bunch of things to get rings. And I do think he would acquiesce his touches, his shots, the things he's needed to do to to get the ring. The one thing I hope for in all of this, and I've talked about it on the show, and I saw some signs of it when I could still go to fucking Nets games, was KD took this team. Mm. KD is the alpha dog here. Yeah. And if that pecking order can stay where it is, and Katie's always a little bit above Kyrie as far as that goes. He also has Steve Nash to answer to now, which is maybe a different scenario than, yeah. you know, than some of the guys he has. So I don't know. I, every time I start to talk about this James Harden to Brooklyn thing, I kind of talk myself into it. I'm into it. I hope it happens. It's funny. The, the, the way we started this was completely different than the way we finished it. But no, I think honestly, the, the biggest detractor of James Harden in Houston was the fact that, you know, sometimes he likes to use a private jet too much and go a little Dennis Rodman 48 eight hours in Vegas and disappear and then come back right before the game. I'm not sure if that's exactly NBA champ- pastime. I mean, okay, but I'm also not sure if that's what championship teams and championship players do. But I think Michael Jordan has something to say about that. In the playoffs, though, disappearing to the Bahamas in the middle of the playoffs. Come on, do you re- you really think that no, you really like, think that pizza is the reason he was sick? Come on, yeah, that was the playoffs. That's different. There's a difference between getting drunk, doing whatever the night before a game, and like getting on a private jet and going to the Bahamas and not letting your team know. That's uh, irresponsible. He, he would have if he could have. Oh come on! Is James Harden my new LeBron? Is this what <laughs> we'll I'm coming? See. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Give it a little time. Maybe might be coming. Uh, well, we want to hear what trades you would propose, what rumors you like, all that stuff. Email us at the Tune Up Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Tune Up HQ. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz One. Number one in your mind. Number one in your heart. Number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Lamella Ball, number one. I'll see you in the All-Star game, kid. Let's play it back next week. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>